Welcome to the Chapel Young Adult Weekly Service, a ministry of chapel in Florence, Alabama. We believe that you are here for a reason. If you haven't already, connect with us on Instagram at wearechapelya to get regular updates. And join us weekly on Tuesday nights at 6.30 at the Student Building on campus at Chapel on Cloverdale Road in Florence, Alabama. Man, super excited for tonight. Uh, Digging back into our series, What is Love? We're walking through the book of first, or the chapter, uh, chapter 13 of First Corinthians. So if you've been with us since really the start of the year, uh, this is where we have been. Uh, we're, we've just been kind of deconstructing the world's definition of love, right? Because the world certainly has its own idea of what love is and what love should look like. And actually looking at what does the Bible say about love? How does God define love? And so we've talked about a lot of different things already. We're just walking through it little by little, but we've talked about the gifts of the Spirit because that's something that Paul touches on. And what is the goal of those gifts? We've talked about how love is kind, love is patient. Um, David did an incredible job last week bringing the word. Can we give it up for, for David, for those of you that are here last week? Just brought a great word on how love is not rude. Love sacrifices its own preference, preferences, its own opinions, uh, and, and prioritizes the, the interests and the preferences of others, which is uh, easier said than done. Um, and so tonight, we are continuing. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. And the title of this message tonight is Hurts So Good. It hurts So Good. And uh, we'll get into, we'll talk about why it's called that. Um, the whole point of tonight is, is that the truth sometimes hurts, right? Uh, we probably all have had instances in our life where someone has had to tell us something, had to tell us a, a hard truth that maybe we weren't ready to hear or didn't want to hear, um, but it was for our good. Uh, you know, a really good example of, of this, when I think about, you know, this happening or actually this a lack of this happening. I think about American Idol. Anybody watch American Idol? I used to back in the day, back in the heyday, uh, with the original three judges. You had Paula, Randy, and Simon. Randy Jackson. It's a no for me, dog. Um, it's kind of, you know, for me, it's lost a little bit of the magic since the, all the new judges are on there. You know, Luke Bryan, I don't know what authority he has. Um, but American Idol, the... The best part, I mean, I love, I've always loved music, so I love, you know, when, once it gets late in the season and you've got some really great vocalists up there, you know, duking it out. However, I think a really fun part of the whole process is the early phase, the initial audition uh, part. So a lot of you, most of you have probably seen this part of American Idol. At some point, you've got people who come from all over the country, stand in line for hours, if not days, just to get their shot. And you, look, that's not a commitment that you make. I don't know, I don't like standing in lines. Uh, most, I don't think most people enjoy that. That's not something that you're willing to do if you don't really believe in why you're there. And it is remarkable, the amount of people that invest that time, that really believe in themselves and get up there and just make an absolute fool of themselves. Uh, and it's great entertainment. Some of them, I'm sure, just want the, the attention. Some of them probably don't 
really think that they're great singers, but you can tell some of them do, right? And what's hard, what's heartbreaking is that no one loved them enough to say, hey man, this is not your gift. This is, this is not it. I'm sure there's something else out there that you're great at. It's not singing. And you can just tell who, who really had true friends in their lives and who didn't. Um, it, again, it makes for great entertainment on our part, but it, it's sad for the ones that, because again, you can kind of tell the ones who really think they got it. Uh, and then for Simon Cowell, just to just stone-faced, you know, in his British accent say, uh, absolutely not. Get out of this room right now. Um, you know, one, probably the best example that I can think of, and I'm, you know, risking my job a little bit here, but is none other than your senior pastor, uh, Bobby Gorley. Uh, the man, I think, really believes he can sing. Um, and if you've ever heard him sing, um, it is, he didn't miss his calling, as I'll just say that. Uh, he is doing what he needs to be doing, preaching the word. Um, and so, uh, yeah. But the truth it hurts sometimes. The truth hurts. But it's for our good. It's for our good. So that's, that's I've given you the spoiler alert. That's what the whole message is about tonight. Uh, we, could, we could call it a night right now, but we're not going to. Um, we're just getting started. So let's go ahead. If you've got your Bible, go ahead. And if you're not already there, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hopefully you already have that chapter bookmarked at this point. But it says... Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Father, we love you tonight, God, and we just are so thankful, again, just for another opportunity to come together, Lord, to worship you together, Lord, to, to spend time with one another, Lord, but most importantly, to spend time with you, to sit at your feet, to worship you, God, to be in your presence, Lord, and we just thank you for that, that honor. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, Lord, pray that you would just speak to us tonight, Lord, uh, give us just a fresh revelation um, just of who you are, of how much you love us. God, we thank you for the truth, Lord, and we know that sometimes it's painful to hear, it's unpleasant, but God, we know that it's for our good. So I pray that tonight you would just soften our hearts, soften our ears, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So short verse, we're going to break it down. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. We're going to, real quick on the front end, focus on the first half of that. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Uh, and the question has to be asked, who would rejoice at wrongdoing, right? Like that seems like an obvious thing. Uh, the Greek word that we see here for wrongdoing, it actually translates to unrighteousness. So that's just really anything that is sin, anything that dishonors the Lord, anything that is disobedience to the Lord. So who would rejoice at that? Well, the first group of people that would rejoice at wrongdoing was the church in Corinth, which is the whole reason Paul felt the need to write this. This is why he felt like he needed to say it. I don't know if you've read much of Paul's letters, but he's not the type of guy to just say things all willy-nilly. He usually has a reason for what he says. He's usually very direct in how he says it. He's not going to waste time saying this if he didn't feel like it needed to be said. Um, I, I, you know, I have similar conversations with Reagan from time to time, I'll say, hey, do you, do you know where your keys are? 
And she's like, why would you ask me that? Do you think I don't know where my keys are? And I'm like, well, that's, that's why I'm asking. It's because I don't think you know. But Paul felt like the church in Corinth needed to hear this. The church in Corinth was notorious for the sexual immorality that it permitted. Um, you know, just to be a little bit more specific, not far from the city of Corinth was the temple of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. This was the goddess of love and beauty. This goddess was actually worshipped through sexual relations with prostitutes that serviced that temple. And so Paul's like, guys, this really feels like something I shouldn't have to say, probably, but it, it needs to be said because they were, they were struggling with breaking out of some of those habits, some of those cultural norms. That was, that was a normal practice for the people of Corinth. There were also reports in the church, if you, if you read actually in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, there were reports of incest happening amongst the church. And they were actually proud of it. And I know this is Alabama, but I think even we can all agree, like that's, that's out of line, that's out of bounds. And Paul felt the need to address it. It was that prevalent. And so why, why am I going into those details? It's because we have to understand that, yeah, that was happening in the, at, at that specific church. But we can't think that the church today is immune to these types of sinful behaviors. We can't be so arrogant, so prideful to, to think that, oh, yeah, that, you know, that kind of thing's not happening. And maybe those specific things aren't happening, but I hate to be the one to tell you this, there is lots of sin, even in the church. Because where there are people, there will be sin. Anytime we get together, guess what? There's going to be sin. And sin runs rampant when we aren't real. It runs rampant when we aren't vulnerable. If we come to church and just act like, hey, we're all good. We've got it all together. Got it all figured out. Everything is great. If that's, the, if that's what you carry, if that's the attitude that you have about you, guess what? No one's going to feel comfortable being honest with you. No one's going to be comfortable being vulnerable with you because that's what, you've, that's what you're putting out there is, yeah, I'm good. I'm good to go. And so that's the, when we aren't real, when we're not authentic, when we're not vulnerable, that's contagious. Someone has to go first. Someone has to be the sacrificial lamb, if you will, and be honest and be vulnerable. And guess what? When you do that, if someone can be bold enough to do that, I'm not saying right now stand up and confess your deepest, darkest sin, but if we can create a culture of vulnerability and honesty, these things won't be happening. That's how the, the Asbury revival that happened around this time last year, it was, a, I think, full blast this time last year, that started with a very normal chapel service on like a Wednesday afternoon, from all the accounts that I've heard, the message that was preached, the lesson was nothing special. It was the guy, I've actually heard him talk about it, the guy who spoke. He, he left and went home and told his wife, like, that was the worst thing that I've ever taught. 
And, but what started that revival was one person. There were some people that stayed after and, and prayed, and one person stood up and confessed their sin. And then another person stood up and confessed their sin. And it was just a domino effect, and then all of a sudden there was revival happening. So sin runs rampant when we aren't real. So this was happening at the, with the church in Corinth. That's one group of people. Who else would rejoice at wrongdoing? Well, the world around us, right? I probably don't need to tell you that the world around us is pretty messed up. If you remember last year at the Grammys, Sam Smith performed a song that was literally called Unholy while dancing around on stage dressed as the devil, thousands of people in attendance cheering him on a song which that same night he also won a Grammy for. It's estimated that the pornography industry in the U.S. generates between 12 to 14 billion, with a B, billion dollars annually, roughly 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn. Every year in the month of June, there are hundreds of thousands of parades celebrating the homosexual lifestyle. All your favorite companies change their colors to rainbow colors. Now, the way we respond to this is different from how Paul is addressing the, these Corinthian Christians, but the world is celebrating these things. So we respond, we don't... We don't handle, we don't address the world the way that Paul is addressing these believers. Why? Because we cannot expect people who were lost to not act lost. You would not expect a blind man to be able to see. In the same way, we can't expect the world to not act like the world. So our response to the world can't be, you know, to rebuke, to condemn standing on the corner downtown at First Fridays, yelling at them with a, with a bullhorn, probably is not the best approach. Uh, I don't know if you guys that maybe that went to UNA, maybe you remember the guy who used to come to the amphitheater. Maybe he still does and would yell at all the girls wearing, you know, yoga pants and telling, tell them all that, you know, they're all going to hell. Um, you know, I would love to ask and see how, you know, successful that was for him. You know, how fruitful was his ministry? I can't imagine that there were a lot of people that decided, oh, you know what, that's, you're probably right. Thank you for saying that to me. Um, I, I doubt it was effective. When it comes to our dealings with the world, we have to realize that we're not in a debate with them. We're in a beauty contest. What does that mean? It's not our job to debate and argue with the world. It's not our job to convince them of how wrong they are. Our job is simply to show them how beautiful Jesus is. I, I, don't, I don't know of many people that came to Jesus because they were made to feel so bad about themselves that they decided, well, okay, I guess I'll try Jesus out. No, that's, that's not gonna work. But if people can see how much we love Jesus because of how good he is, how beautiful he really is, this happens through building relationships with people. 
not judging them, not condemning them. Build relationships with them. Love them. Serve them. You know, like Jesus did. It's not a debate. It's a beauty contest. So the church at Corinth, the world around us, who, who else rejoices at wrongdoing? Who else would, would do such a thing? We do. Us in this room. It gets a lot easier to love the sinful world around us when we recognize that we're pretty messed up too. And we may not be dressing up as the devil and dancing around on stage on a Sunday morning, Although, there's some churches out there that do some wild stuff. Pastor Bobby was showing me a video yesterday of this church did a football, Super Bowl thing, and they actually, like, kicked a Bible like it was a football, like a field goal. Um, I was like, this is something that, like, you would see on an SNL skit making fun of a church, but you would never think, no one would actually do that. No, this was real. But, you know, just because we're not dressing up as the devil, just because hopefully there's no incest happening at chapel, that doesn't mean that we're not tolerating things. We may not be celebrating sin, but there's probably things that we're tolerating. That which we do not condemn, we condone. That which we do not condemn, we condone. And let me be clear, we do not condemn people. I didn't say who we condemn, but because that's not our place. But that which we do not condemn, we condone. If there's sinful behavior amongst your Christian brothers and sisters, and you knowingly sweep it under the rug, guess what? You are rejoicing in wrongdoing. Unpleasant as it may be, we have an obligation to address sin in the house of the Lord. Who here loves just having hard conversations, confrontation? Anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. No one, no one enjoys it, right? It's not fun. But 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. It starts with us. It doesn't start with the world. We are called to a higher standard. And I know no one wants to be that guy, to, to have to be the one to say, hey, guys, I don't really think we should be saying this. I don't think we should be talking about this. I don't know how many of y'all are Nate Bregazzi fans. Uh, he's my favorite comedian. Uh, he tells a story of, as a kid, being at a sleepover, and they put on a, a scary movie. It was rated R, and... He boldly stands up and says, I don't think we should be watching this. I don't think I'm allowed to watch this. And he said, I thought people would join me. And they did not. I know no one wants to be that guy. But I think one of the reasons that these things were happening at the church in Corinth is because no one was willing to be that guy. Someone has to be the one to stand up for what's right. Someone has to be the one and you don't have to be a jerk about it. There's, there's a kind, loving way to say, hey, let's, let's talk about something different. Just shift the conversation. Be that guy. 
Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. So part two of this verse. Love rejoices with the truth. And the Greek word for truth here translates to reality. Right? What is real, not reality. And look, we know this. The truth is hard to come by a lot of times. In today's world, it can be very difficult to actually obtain truth. When your options are Fox News and CNN, you know, it's really, I think, probably neither one of them are really nailing it. I don't, even, I don't watch the news at all. I'm very unaware of what's happening in the world at any given time. Um, I think there's election this year. Um, but I just, it's easier for me. I, also, I don't want to be one of those old men. I'm getting older. Uh, Ella kindly told me she thought I was 32 last week, uh, which was, that was a reality check. I'm not, for those of you that are wondering. Um, but I, won't, I don't want to be one of these old men that only, you know, only talks politics. I've seen people get consumed by it, but I don't watch it at all because why? It's, I think in a lot of ways, it's almost useless. The information that you're getting is probably very rarely actual truth. So how do we discern what is truth? How do we get the truth? We have to abide in the authentic. Abide in the authentic. In John chapter 4, I am the truth. Jesus is truth. So walking with him daily, walking with him intimately, is only going to help you know what is real. Why? Because the more time you spend with the authentic, the easier it will be to spot the counterfeit. I mean, you've all heard this analogy, but people who handle money, you know, they're not even really trained on how to spot a fake $100 bill, a fake $20 bill. Why? Because they don't have to be. Because they handled the real thing enough to know as soon as somebody hands them a fake one, Something's off. So the more time you spend with the real thing, the easier it gets to know what's counterfeit, what's fake. So we have to get familiar with his presence. Know what he's like. Know what it feels like when he's in the room. It's a privilege, guys. A privilege to get to be in his presence. That's not something we deserve. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn. The veil that took you into the Holy, holy of Holies was, was split in two so that we could have access to the presence of God. Because in the Old Testament, most of you probably know this, but in the Old Testament, people would die if they entered into the Holy of Holies. The the priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, but even he was only allowed to do it once a year. And they would tie a rope to his ankle just in case he died while he was in there, and they could pull him out. That's intense, I know, but we are not worthy. On our own, we're not worthy to sit at his feet. 
That's not something we deserve. He is holy. He is so good. He is so pure. And we are not. But Jesus died for us. He cleansed us. Gave us permission. Made us worthy to be in his presence. So it's, it's a privilege and one that we should be taking advantage of every opportunity that we can. So we have to get familiar with his presence. We have to know his word. And I mean really know it. Delight in it. Devour it. Hide it in your heart. Because you know who else knows scripture? The devil. The enemy. When Jesus was in the wilderness, what did Satan use against him to try to tempt him? He used the Bible against Jesus. I mean, the audacity. If you aren't familiar with both the content and the context of the word of God, you will be easily deceived. I mean, this is a sword. It's a weapon. But guess what? Just like with any other weapon, you have to know how to use it. Or it can be used against you. Or you'll believe every out-of-context sermon you hear from you know, these Twitter pastors, these TikTok pastors. You'd have to understand not just what it's saying, but, but why it was said. What was said around it. You know, people will love to take scripture out of context. So devour this word. Understand it. He will guide you. He will show you if you're hungry for it. We have to surround ourselves with people who will tell you the hard things, will tell you the truth. And like we've said several times already, the truth hurts sometimes. But we all need people who are willing to maybe hurt our feelings a little bit right now to save us from greater pain down the road. That's why the title of this message is Hurts So Good. Yeah, it hurts right now. You didn't like to hear it. But it's going to protect you in the future. Doing the easy thing now, whether sweeping things under the rug or, or worse yet, enabling or encouraging sinful behavior is only going to lead to more pain, more difficult consequences later on. Saying the hard thing now makes way for an easier future. The most loving thing that we can do for our brother is to tell him the hard truth, to push him towards repentance. The word says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's not an easy thing to always do, a fun thing to have to say to someone man, I love you, but this is wrong. I, I think you need to repent for this. You need to turn away from this. The most loving thing you can do is to urge your brother to repent. So when, when was the last time that someone in your circle checked you on something? If you can't remember it may be time for a different circle. If you haven't been called on your crap lately, 
Maybe you just have felt like, oh, I guess I'm crushing it lately. You're probably not. I'm not. When was the last time someone loved you enough to say, hey, I don't know about that. I don't know if that was, uh, I don't know if that was what you should have said there. When we say these hard things, it's important that we also know this, that we must speak with grace and truth. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. You need both grace and truth. Why is that? Because if you speak the truth without grace, you're essentially just trying to rebuke someone into heaven. And guess what? We've already talked about it. Doesn't really work. If you give someone grace, but you don't give them truth, what happens? You're loving them straight to hell. If you had cancer, would you not want the doctor to tell you? Would you not want someone to let you know? It's, yeah, it, it sucks to hear that. And the doctor isn't excited to tell you that news. But if he lets you walk out of that office knowing, whew, yeah, they've only got a few more months at best, but I didn't have the heart to tell them. It's not really love at all. So you have to surround yourself with people that love you enough to tell you the hard thing. And then finally, you have to humble yourself enough to hear the truth. Right? If you're going to be dishing it out, you got to be humble enough to take it. Surrounding yourself with these people that tell you the truth doesn't do you a lot of good if you're too proud to hear it. There needs to be, I would say a few, not, you don't have to give a lot of people this permission, but there needs to be two or three people in your life that you trust that they know they have the green light to say whatever they want to say to you. Very clear to them because you may think, well, it's just understood. They know that. Well, they may not. You need to say, hey, man, I love you. I know that you love me. I want you to know you have permission to call me on anything. Say whatever you need to say to me because I know you love me enough to tell me the truth. Give them that permission. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't have a blind spot, myself included. Allow people to love you enough to cover those blind spots. The word says rejoice with the truth. So when these people that you have given permission speak into your life, rejoice, be thankful that they told you the thing you didn't want to hear, but you needed to hear. Know that they love you. This is the love that we're called to, to protect one another. They're trying to protect you from greater pain down the road. Nobody raised their hand when, when I asked who, who enjoyed these conversations. So 
I promise if they're coming to you and saying this, it's not because they were really excited to say this to you. They probably, they probably lost a little bit of sleep over it. But they love you. There's people in this room I've had to have difficult conversations with. Guess what? Because I love you. I can think of many people in my life that have had difficult conversations with me and it changed the trajectory of my life. When I was in college, when I was living like hell, honestly, partying, doing everything under the sun, I distinctly remember a conversation that my roommate had with me one night, sitting on the couch. And he, in a very loving but very direct way, just said, bro, what are you doing? This is not you. You know better. And I was a little bit taken aback in that moment. I wasn't really, I was kind of caught off guard. But it wasn't long after that that I had an encounter with the Lord. And the Lord basically said the same thing. And I'm so thankful for my friend, for my roommate in that moment. Love me enough an easy conversation my crap to challenge me to say what I'm sure was not an easy conversation what I'm sure he was not looking forward to saying but I don't know if I'm standing here today without him you have to humble yourself to hear the truth even when it hurts especially when it hurts Thank you again for listening. Connect with us through Instagram at wearechapelya or come visit us at Chapel in Florence.